Uh, so um, how much is that? Welcome to the podcast editor's mastermind, the show for the business side of podcast editing, where we focus on things other than just the mechanics of editing. My name is Brian Ensminger. You can find me at toptieraudio.com. And my, my co-host with me is... Carrie Caulfield. Eric, you can find me at yayapodcasting.com. Daniel was not able to join us tonight. If you're interested in finding him, you'll find him at daniel at rothmedia.audio or at rothmedia.audio. Tonight, we're going to talk about an interesting topic, at least for me. It's something that we talked about in one of our private uh, meetings. And Carrie said, hey, we should probably bring this to the fore. And this is the idea of differentiated service levels and differentiated pricing and maybe some of the the mindset stuff that goes on in there. Carrie, do you want to share maybe a little bit around where your head was when we were talking about this and why you thought this would be good to bring to the group? Well, Brian, what exactly did I say to you? (laughs) (laughs) Uh, No, uh, it's been a long day, guys, editing and stuff. Um, I've been thinking about like a show is an entire project. And each show, each client, and the work has also like different, I guess, different values to the client or to whoever you're you're editing for. So, like, there are so many factors that I feel like one type of rate, one type of you know approach is almost like a disservice. I think that could certainly be the case. As you're talking about that, one of the things that comes to my mind is I think a lot of us, me included, tend to think that what we're selling is editing. But that's not always the case. Because Carrie, you're selling something other than just editing, right? Yeah, I'm I'm really selling my skills. Mm-hmm. It's not so much about taking out the ums and ahs. It's like everything that goes with it. It's more than simply editing to me. And I think this goes back to the whole value equation, right? Because we might think that we're selling one thing, but in reality, our clients might be buying something different. Yes. And all right, now that I, you know, (laughs) I've had a moment to like switch, like fully switch gears um, from editing to this live stream. I think what my clients are really buying is my time, a slot in my schedule. Mm -hmm. And I think that that's, you know, what is your time worth? That's something. And, you know, especially if after you've been editing for a while, your time becomes like something you really want to, I guess, guard, you know, running a business. There's so Mm -hmm. much we do because of our skills. We can start to then um, really value that time instead of valuing a project or, or a show or like an episode. Yeah. In our private call, the thing that kind of made this pop up as something to talk about was the fact that I have not different pricing, but a different service level for people that produce a different cadence, right? So for me, if you have a weekly show, I ask for seven calendar days out barring extra circumstances like a holiday or something. I ask for seven days. If it's a biweekly show, I ask for 10. And the reason is because if you have a once every other week show and I only have a week to edit it, that slot where I would have edited your show ends up being not filled 
unless I can fill it with a guaranteed slot on the off weeks, right? And since I'm a small business, I don't have enough volume to level load my demand, if that makes sense. And so rather than offering a different pricing for seven-day service for those biweekly shows, I ask for a longer time horizon to do the edit. And the same thing is true for people that have a monthly show. I ask for still a different time horizon. And really, the reason is because I have a limited amount of time and the contractors that I have working for me that do some of my work, they also have to balance potentially multiple clients because I'm probably not their only client, right? I'm not hiring employees that only work for me. And so I have to be aware that they have to fit that into their schedule. And so I have to allow them enough time to make that work for them as well. And so I've made that shift and I've found a couple of people that push back on it. But for the most part, they're like, oh yeah, I totally get it. You're giving me a good rate. And the reason you can do that is because if I'm producing every other week, you ask essentially for a week and a half to do the edit so that you can fit it in around your other stuff. And it's it's been a non-issue. But I think that was something you hadn't thought about before. Yeah, I really hadn't. I was thinking, and I just now, I'm like, I think about it in terms of my time, but that does make sense to me even in the, the time reference because when you're working with somebody less, obviously it's, you know, first and foremost, when you're not, when a show is bi-monthly or like just monthly, you know, it's so easy. Like you have to work a little bit harder so they don't fall off the radar. A lot harder. Yeah, a lot harder. And that also has value to it because what you're doing is making sure that the podcaster is accountable. And that takes work and mental energy. And you're still like, you know, hopefully working on more shows than a monthly show or a bi-monthly show. And so, you know, you have weekly shows or maybe you have bi-weekly shows. And so those are the podcasters that are going to be in the shows that are going to be demanding more attention from you, right? Yeah. And they're also paying a little bit more. And they're paying probably, you know, depending on how you're billing, they might be paying more frequently or some, you know, so there's, it's different. It's different, but they're always in the forefront. Mm -hmm. So you don't have to work as hard to, I don't want to say remember them. Well, it it becomes part of your weekly routine, not an addition to your weekly routine. Right. Yeah. And that's, that's where the monthly is, is, or the bi-monthly is harder. And I think the other end of the tension on this scale is if you've got a customer or a client that really needs a very short turnaround. So let's say that there's a show that only takes you an hour and a half to edit. So you might think to yourself, okay, well, this is an hour and a half. Well, if they need a 12 or a 24 hour turnaround and you don't know for sure when you're going to get the files, in my mind, that becomes a day rate where they buy the day because you have to commit to giving them somewhere between an hour and a half to however long it takes to edit that without knowing when it's going to arrive. So in reality, can you fill that time with other things? Yeah, you can from a making a decision in the day standpoint. When that file arrives, because of the turnaround time that you've agreed to, everything else stops. And if it's at 9 p.m. and the commitment is, I'll have it for you by 8 the next morning, like you're going to do it. And so in my mind, at that point, they've bought the day. Now, that doesn't mean that I won't do other things. But if I have to make sure that I've got half a day available, potentially, to edit your show, and I could spend two-thirds of that time just waiting on the, the files to show up, in my mind, that becomes something where you've actually bought the day. Do you agree with that, Carrie? 
Yeah. And that's why I love the idea of, of just having a day rate. But then what do you do if they bought the day and don't take advantage of it? <laughs> Essentially. I mean, not like not take advantage of it, but right. um, the other thing is, so when they're not doing this work frequently, then they forget. I will say that I have transitioned with one exception. Everybody is monthly paid in advance plan. My once a month clients, my twice a month clients, my every week clients, everybody except for one where I do some subcontracting is prepaid if they don't use it, it doesn't roll over. Now, I'm not super hard-nosed about it, but unfortunately, I have one client who's paid for the month and we're, or paid for last month and only had one episode and is what it is. And I, it concerns me that he might stop producing the show. But at the same time, every week, I have reserved a certain amount of time in my calendar to put his show together. And the fact that it doesn't show up doesn't mean that I didn't reserve the time for him. Did I use it for other things? Yeah, absolutely. But if his show had shown up, I would have used it for that. And it's not reasonable to allow that kind of fluctuation, especially in what I would call a very low volume business like ours, where you're talking at most maybe, and I, I can't get anywhere near this, but at most maybe 15 to 20 episodes a week for a one editor or maybe a really small shop. You can't absorb that kind of fluctuation. That's my take. I agree with you. Um, I hear 15 episodes a week and I get heart palpitations. <laughs> <laughs> um, but but yeah, so when I do a lot more than just simple, in, or not, I don't want to call it simple, but then just like the traditional right. interview editing. These projects are so complicated sometimes and can take three days to do one episode. I have to have things scheduled in order to meet these deadlines that, you know, and it's not simply a matter of like working with an independent creator who has some flexibility. Like if iHeart says we need this episode to release on this day, and that schedule is locked in, mm -hmm. it has to release on that day. There's no way, like, you can't go to iHeart and be like, mm, no, it didn't work out. <laughs> we right. got to push it back. I mean, that, and I certainly can't do that. So I'm not in charge of that decision. So that time then becomes more important to be filled correctly in my day-to-day. Yeah. Because I have this schedule. It has to be maintained. And I would, you know, when we talk about, you know, getting podcasters to be professional and be accountable and consistent, I think this is really part of that conversation. Because whether they're editing for themselves or you're doing the editing for them, if they treat this like an actual production, like a totally legit, like, you know, they want to feel like they're aspiring to be like these other bigger podcasts. Well, this is how you do it. You lock in those days. You lock in those deadlines, right? Which is hard. But when you're at the point where you are paying for your editing, you know that's when the podcaster mentality needs to kind of flip in line with this. Did I just... <laughs> no, no. I, I think so. I'm just kind of trying to think, where, where do we go from that? Because I think that... Definitely, there's a relationship between the duration and the variability of the production and 
how consistent it is and the the timing, all, all of that kind of stuff. I'm wondering though, are there other things that we need to think about more in this way, right? As we start to think of ourselves, not just as a freelancer or as a small business owner, but as a business owner, even if the only person we manage is ourselves, how do we start to think about managing our time and structuring our client relationships in a way that work for us? Because at least in my world, it doesn't work to just say seven days lead time or whatever that lead time is, period, right? Because there's a tension between the client's need to deliver on it. Like if there's an agreed publication date, then they want to keep that. Of course, you want to try and honor that. But at the same time, you know, we can't just be jumping through hoops. And I, I'm still not sold on the idea of a late fee, right? There's some tension there. There certainly is. And, and I think there's probably some sort of happy medium or maybe some way to like kind of train clients and ourselves. So I don't want to just put clients on the spot to kind of get into that rhythm. So when I work on the larger productions, one of the things I'm always asked is about the cadence. Mm -hmm. Right. That's the word that producers use is cadence. And I I get it. It's that rhythm, Mm -hmm. your kind of rhythm for working on the show. And ideally, over time, that rhythm should get like more refined and solid. And I feel like, and then as you, you know, go to the last, you know, finish the last episode, you're, you know, hopefully ahead of schedule because you really got in that groove and the, you know, just the feel for what you're doing down. I feel like podcasters and and us need to have a cadence as well. And I don't think we kind of talk about that rhythm because the larger shows and I have the bulk of my work has been larger shows now. So I feel like I have, and I've been going through a very difficult time where they're like monkey wrenches thrown at my schedule all the time, like my personal life. So like I have been doing a lot of thinking about this. So I think that the big takeaway for me has been, yes, you have to have a cadence. Yes, there are deadlines and consistency is super important. But equally as important is making that consistency, like crafting your schedule in a way where you can produce your content in such a way where it is consistent. So like if, again, why the like something like a, a bi-monthly schedule will work for a podcaster better than a weekly schedule because they can get into that rhythm. They can figure out a way to fit it in their life in that time frame. And I think that that's something that we always need to kind of evaluate. Does that make sense at all? Or did I just talk? Yeah. In my <laughs> podcasting heaven, one of the things that I like are clients that get two to three episodes ahead consistently. There's a sweet spot somewhere between four and eight episodes where once you get past eight, it can start to feel disconnected from the process. Once it's published, it's been long enough that they start to forget what they did. But there's a sweet spot somewhere in there where it allows them to have some level of variability. It allows the team to do a great job, but also pull things forward or push things out and still hit deadlines. However, I have very few clients that can actually function that way because it is a significant mindset shift, especially for podcasters when they first get started and are in the process of developing their habits to go from this is so overwhelming to 
I need to do this so overwhelming at a rate of two times the rate that I want to publish until I get four episodes in advance. And then I can kind of sit there. And what I found is that some of them can get ahead, but then they'll be getting ahead because of something they know that's coming up. So then by the time that's done, they're scrambling to get back at it, right? And so there's always a, a struggle there for them. Fully recognize that. But that, that would be sort of my podcast heaven where there's, on average, one new episode showing up every week and two to three in the queue every week. And you can just cycle through those on a weekly or a semi-month, like whatever that cadence is. But that would be perfection. Now, most of my clients can't do that. Right. Is it's not easy to do. No. Having been a podcaster, that was the way I functioned. Unless something happened, I was always between four and eight episodes in advance. Once I got past eight, it got really hard for the guests to stay engaged when I shared it with them. But the reason I did it that way was because I had to. It's not because I was amazing or wonderful or super disciplined. It was because if I didn't, it wasn't going to happen. Because having a guest based show, that wasn't recorded live <laughs> when the guest is available is when the guest is available and it doesn't matter to them that they're not available on the week you need to record them. So having those banked up and then I was just, I was just honest with them. I'm like, yeah, I, I'm four to six weeks ahead all the time. I always function that way. If you have something that you want to have published at a certain time, because you've got a book being published or something like that. Yeah. We need to plan that in advance, but I'm not going to bump somebody that I've already recorded because you didn't realize I was six weeks ahead. Like yeah. we'll publish it when we publish it. I'm not trying to be a jerk, but this is not my full-time gig and I don't get paid for this. Yeah. And I, I just want to um, take a minute to go through some of these comments. Oh, I missed those. Thank you. Yeah. Because I, I was like, well, this is weird. I can't see anybody. <laughs> <laughs> so I looked at us uh, and there are the comments. So Heather says that she said, yes, simply more than editing. And she also said she timed herself. And for extremely difficult edits at two times speed, it takes 20 minutes to edit two minutes of raw editing, like raw audio. Wow. Yeah, I can, I can totally relate to that too. <laughs> yeah, and some of that is just the client, right? That's, it has nothing to do with your skill. It's just It has to do with the client's speaking skill. Yeah. But yeah, but that's really important for her to know and for all of us to know because then we can better schedule ourselves. Yeah. So let's pause on that one for just a second because I do have a couple of clients where they typically do monologues. And I know that if I get an interview from them, it's going to take two times the amount of time that an interview would normally take me. Because when they get a guest on the show, they start to get flustered which means the guest starts to get confused and flustered. So a guest who's maybe already not comfortable on mic is now flustered because the, the host is asking questions that are confusing because the host is trying to think on the fly where normally they work from an outline, right? Well, I think that they, you know, so I have a situation where I had a client switch from interviews to solo and then her husband said, oh, you should do more interviews. And I was immediately like, oh, don't tell mm -hmm. her that. That's because I knew she would come back completely out of practice. All those skills that we had worked on for like two years were going to be out the window because she hadn't practiced them in like nine months. So uh, I was absolutely right. And it was torture. And then I just had Alejandro. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And can I just hop on my soapbox for a second with that one? Yeah. If you have a client who has guests on their show, and the client 
talks more than the guests they have on the show, maybe ask them why they have a guest at all and see if you can maybe coach them, right? Because there's, I understand that sometimes they want a conversation where it feels like 50-50, but man, in my world, if you have a guest on your show and that guest talks anything less than 60 to 70% of the time, why did you bother? That's my soapbox. You can take it or leave it. But I find that shows that feature the host more than the guest are remarkably disengaging for me because I already listen to their solo content. I don't need to hear them say it to somebody else. Then I'll shut up. Right? <laughs> no, no, I totally agree. Um, I will say that my hosts or my clients did differentiate between her solo and her interview show. So at least it didn't suck. <laughs> <laughs> Um, I don't mean that. No, I'm sorry. Yeah, and then I, I had another thought, but it's gone. So. so one of the other things that Heather said was once a month prepaid has worked really well for her. One price for a set number of raw episodes and only a handful of clients. That way everybody gets the time they deserve. It can feel, can feel like you're punishing the clients that commit to more than they can deliver on. At the same time, I got to the point where I could not deal with the variability that per episode pricing was allowing. And that's really why I made the change. Now, the only time I do per episode is if somebody who's... It's like a one-off service. So I do like uh, the audio repair that an editor can't do for a show or it's too difficult for her. She can't figure it out. For the Good Life Project, I've taught her which backfired because she was paying me. But so now <laughs> she's paying me less because I gave her a lesson on how to do stuff. Um, she took my RX course. <laughs> um, yeah, but that's sporadic. So I, I bill it as it comes in. I don't mind it. It's a different... For me, it's a change of pace. You know, I'm not listening to people talk. I'm, I'm listening to sounds and frequency and fixing stuff. So that just like a fun diversion that I get paid for. Um, and I don't mind that. And then I have um, a contract with a marketing agency and it's a corporate client and they're not real consistent, mostly because the legal team, it takes so long to set. So I don't even like, I just do, you know, whatever, one or two episodes at a time for them. And I charge them like per episode. Fortunately, the compensation's nice, so it's not that uh, much of a pain in the ass. Uh, oh, God. <laughs> Imagine I didn't say that. I've been listening to people cuss all day. Uh, <laughs> uh, yeah, so and in terms of pricing, like I don't even like prepaid anymore, really. Um, not in the traditional sense, but I really am now making my clients do whether they are, you know, like kind of media or they're um, independent creators is I have been doing project pricing. Look, if you're going to work with me, you're going to do a season. Sure. You are going to batch those episodes. We are going to pay for that, pay for half of the editing up front for like, if you want to do six episodes, if you want to do 22 episodes, right? You're going to pay for half up front. And then when the season's done, you give me the other half. And that, tends to be motivating people when they're doing like, mm -hmm. you know, 20 episodes. That has worked out really well for me. And it's worked out really well for my clients. They tend to now think in seasons and complete 
seasons, and now they're a little bit more consistent. Or they're a lot more consistent, actually, I would say. Because now they have, it's not an indefinite run. And maybe that's the problem. And I've been thinking about Mm -hmm. this for a long time. But is it a problem that podcasts go on for like 500 episodes? And so when you get to a certain episode, you're like, oh, God, this is never going to end. Yeah. (laughs) And it's not like I hate my show thought. It's a the work is exhausting thought or like there are other things I would kind of want to focus on, but I still have to put out the show, right? I think there's, there are challenges on both sides, right? So if I think about producing a season, even if it's not got a story arc, there's a different level of intentionality and focus that goes into producing 10 to 20 episodes around a consistent set of topics. If we're thinking about a a topic-based show rather than a storytelling show, right? And so it takes more planning to make that happen. However, when that's, there's a light at the end of the tunnel, so there's a trade-off, right? I'm, I'm in the middle of one of those right now. And when I was producing my first show, I did a couple of sections where I didn't do a season, but I maybe did six or eight episodes around a specific topic. That show was almost entirely interview-based. So it was around finding the guests to cover that topic. And I will say that doing that work and putting off the things that don't fit in that topic can also be exhausting. So I, th- I think there are some trade-offs there. Yeah, and I think it, I think it's really about making it work. And um, so there are two comments that kind of make me, you know, we can you know give us something and think about. So um, Patrick says maybe it's imposter syndrome, but I'm wondering if someone starting out should definitely stick to a particular pay or package structure for a bit. Oh, there it is. Yeah, I, I scrolled down to the bottom. Cheater. Um, because I wanted to see everybody. <laughs> so Patrick, Heather, and Helen. I think because you're new, you need to test different things, right? I know I tested a lot of different like pricing structures and package structures before I figured out what worked for me. And Patrick, it took me like five years to get here. So <laughs> five years of testing to figure stuff out. So I would try something for a little while and find things that, you know, things I liked about it. I kept those things I didn't like about it. I got, or, I got rid of them. So that would be my answer. I think one of the challenges when you're just starting out is you might think that you know what the market you're serving wants, but you may end up attracting people that aren't exactly who you thought they were going to be or who don't need exactly what you thought they were going to need. And so especially when you're just starting out, you de- it's okay to have packages, but you need to have some level of flexibility as well to allow them to specify things. That doesn't mean you have to do it. So if they really want somebody to create 4K video for them and you don't do video, don't feel like you have to pick that up just because the first person you talked to said, hey, I would like to do video. Yeah. And don't think that that means you need to then go out and find a contractor to do that service for you and like white label it and, you know, or whatever, whatever situation. Don't think you need to actually offer that at all. Right. You can just say, I, I don't, I don't do that. And then the other thing as it relates to pricing, and this is something that Carrie and I have talked about several times, when I wasn't sure where my pricing needed to sit, and I'm still not 100% there, what I did was I set my pricing. And then when somebody agreed to that price, I increased it by a certain percentage for the next person. And then the same thing and the same thing until I got to the place where I was getting, and I, I never really got to quite that 50% no rate. Like if you're, 
if you're offering a price and 50% of the time people say that it's good and 50% of the time people say it's too high, then it's probably about as far as you can push. That's like playing the whole standard deviation curve. I never quite got there. What I got was a lot of yeses and then eventually I got to a lot of no's all at the same time. I was like, okay, I think I've reached what the markets can support for right now. And if that's not enough, then you need to think about either the, the suite of services that you're offering or the clients that you're attracting. And a great example of that would be there are some markets that even if they want a professional editor, will never be able to afford or never be able to justify the cost of an editor. I'm not saying they can't afford it, but their show will never justify it. So if you think about the three drunk guys in the basement talking about nothing for three hours, their show will likely never make money. And so because of that, there's a low probability that they're going to be able to invest at the level that you would need. However, the CEO of a Fortune 500 company who's wanting to establish a personal brand may fit a completely different category. I'm going to stop there because I think you've got something to say, Carrie. No, I'm just going to make it <laughs> probably not appropriate joke oh, no. about the three drunk guys in the basement. Uh, <laughs> I work on that show. What are the three-hour episodes? No, I, I'm kidding. I'm kidding. Well, I just felt like I didn't want to interrupt you. Um, I do want to just kind of address um, Patrick's other comment or question, which was why I don't like prepaid. Oh. So I kind of like it. I don't want to deal with even monthly. Like I like project pricing. I like pricing by the season. And I guess it's like half prepaid because what they're really doing is putting a deposit down on the work, just like you would pay a contractor, like, you know, a building in addition onto your house. So you, you, get half of the money up front and then you get the rest of the money when the work's completed. And I feel like everybody is a little bit more invested in that. And then the other thing that I found is the faster you can finish that season, the more money you make because it takes you less time. Like, cause the, the time between, and I usually do like three months, um, if it's a, a project. So my goal is always three months because that's enough time for me to turn something around. It's enough time. Um, or then it's short enough time to like kind of still be making a decent amount of money. And that's why I like that. And then I'm sending two invoices and I'm not sending like 12 invoices, right? You, you know, for 12 months, which is yeah. like what some you know people seasons would be. Or I'm not sending like, so then I'm like, I have more time to focus on the work. Because invoice one set up, invoice two set up, there are no guesses. I can automatically schedule an email with Google, whatever. It's so simple for me. For me. Yeah. And let, so I, I would say that I don't think that you're opposed to prepaid pricing. I think that you're no. opposed to the concept of open-ended recurring monthly billing. Yeah. And I don't like things not to have kind of like an ideal end date, like an end date, right? That seems like a change from when we first talked a couple of years ago. Probably. I've changed a lot. Yeah, you grow. You, that stuff happens. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, I just don't want to deal with it. And then, um, like with some clients, you can set it up for direct deposit too. Mm -hmm. So then you're not even um, using a, a mer you're not paying merchant fees, right? These are the reasons why I I have really fell, fallen in love with like kind of project based um, pricing. 
So Carrie, we've got one for you. This is from Amber. Any suggestions on pricing for narrative style? There's usually a lot more legwork in pre and post, oh, yeah. scripting, story arcing, all of that stuff. How do you take those skills into account? I got nothing. It's all you, girl. Okay. So I don't know what exactly the, the post-production looks like, but I'll, I'll certainly, I'll address the, because um, there are a lot of variables, variables in post and they're kind of variables in the development process. But I would definitely say that you need to be charging for writing or for this the story development, right? The storyboarding. That takes, that's a process that takes time. And then the writing, right? And in that writing, you need to also account for rewrites because that is definitely a part of the process. And the bonus, if you have a hand in any of the um, the storyboarding and this is a big, and it's kind of cool. I really love this. And um, when you're in the development process, you can make the show as complicated or as simple in post-production. So like, what is the sonic kind of identity? How complicated is that going to be? That How complicated is that going to be? Are you going to use a little bit of sound effects? Are you going to do whole soundscapes? And then you can also make it more cost-effective for whoever you're working for and for yourself to kind of maximize your income. So yeah, it that's it's a big topic. Um, Air Media their rate guide or their rate calculator. It's really good. I will do two day rates. So I will do a day rate as an editor and um, a day rate as a producer because front end that crafting the narrative is really a producer role. And so they get charged two day, day rates. That's per episode. So like, uh, you know, assuming, and, and it is possible like these Things can be done in a day, essentially. You can sit down and write a script in a day. The, um, the producer rate would be more expensive because there's also research and fact-checking. I don't know exactly what you think, but there's a lot that goes into that. That's why the producer role is more expensive. But then I do a day rate per episode. And then I add a little bit more on top of that because projects run long. And I don't ever want to get stuck in a place again. It happened once, never again, where a three-month project went over six months. And that hurt. That really hurt. And that was at the beginning of their... No, that was actually not too long ago. And by the reason why I'm working like crazy now. (laughs) I think the thing that I would suggest, and this isn't specific to somebody doing narrative style, but if you have an understanding of the scope of work is it possible for you to develop sort of a menu of services with your internal cost? Now, this isn't something that you would share, but something that you can use to create a quote where you can understand how you value your time or the parts that you need to purchase or might need to purchase what those would cost. This is something that an agency would most certainly have. They would never share it, but they know the cost of doing a thing to them. And they know what the market supports in terms of a price. And so they use those kinds of things to make sure that their margins work when they're developing a bid. Now, do they mess with them to make sure that they can win a bid? Yeah, they probably do. But if you have that, then you can at least start that. I I developed one for myself recently. I don't do the narrative style stuff, but I'll have people that'll come to me and say, hey, what would you charge for something like this? And so as long as I understand the scope of work in the matter of maybe a minute and a half, I can come up with an estimate 
that's reasonably accurate that has my margins already built in. So whether I'm, you know, whether I'm hiring out a portion of the work or whether I'm doing it all myself, it really doesn't matter because the price is the price and it's built in such a way that if I need to hire the work out, it's providing enough money to pay the contractors. And if I don't need to hire it out, it's still protecting that margin. Does that make sense? Oh, absolutely. That's like the math version of what I said. Uh, <laughs> the nerd version. No, um, <laughs> uh, or, or the math accompaniment, com- uh, accoutrements is what I said. Um, yeah, absolutely. I think that you should always know or find out how much different things are going to take you. Now, there are variables and every show is a little bit different. But you should know on average how long something is going to take you. Like I, for instance, absolutely know that when I do episode one of any kind of, you know, other anything other than a solo or an interview show, when I'm doing episode one, it's going to take me three times as long than it will by episode like three, right? So I have to, to build that in and let the client know that mm-hmm. this is going to take longer because we're still getting a feel and our footing and you know, kind of developing because you can have an idea of like that sonic identity. And and what I really mean is like the music and the sound effects and how those things are arranged to support the narrative. And, and that takes a little bit of time and some thought and a lot of listening, right? So episode one is a lot about listening. It's a, it, it's, and it's more time consuming. Can you tell I haven't talked all day? <laughs> So Helen says, just like you, her producer rate is more than her editing. So yeah. I, I feel like I need to get myself a producer rate over here. <laughs> yeah, you do. You do. I think you'd have fun with just different kinds of work. I'm really hoping that, like, as you know, things get a little bit easier, as editors learn and and develop their skills, that you know, podcasters and editors start to make something a little bit more complex and besides the interview show. Yeah, I'm sorry. I'm scrolling through the comments because Heather had a couple that we missed. So one of the things she mentioned was that her per episode rates cost more. Uh, She's wanting to retain clients and really doesn't prefer the one-offs. So yeah, I I totally get that. That's actually why I dropped it per episode. Because what I've found is that, first off, I don't don't do one-offs. I've done a couple. But to Carrie's point, the first edit takes me two to three times as long as it should. Right. Once I've got my groove, I know about how long it should take for each kind of show. It's not always the same, but yeah, I've got a general idea. But that first one where you're setting up the template and you're like trying to get everything dialed in takes significantly longer. So I don't do those anymore, except as maybe a, a five-minute sample edit or something. If somebody needs to see, hey, can you really deliver the goods? But I don't do those and I stopped doing the per episode pricing simply because I couldn't anymore support the variability because at one point I had, I think, three different clients that were all on per episode pricing. Well, if they... And in fact, one of them was on per episode pricing for a year and never actually had an episode for me to edit. So all year long, I was reserving capacity for this person because if all three of these clients decided to drop hour and a half long interview episodes in the same week, I would have been sunk because I don't have the surge capacity to support that. And I had built my calendar in such a way that I could support regular recurring stuff. And had they 
been regular, I would have found I would have also outsourced some more stuff to make the capacity work. But as it was, I couldn't outsource because they weren't providing the work, which meant I didn't have the surge capacity if they did. That that makes it harder when you're when you're working with contractors and and you know you have to remember that like if you're making your money doing this, then contractors yeah. are too. Like I want to make sure everybody's family gets to eat this month. Um, it yeah. So to the point, I have two things to say about per episode pricing. Now, one is I only do per episode for shows I want to do or like services I want to do. Like for instance, audio repair. Yeah, totally. Yeah. Uh, I don't I do not have a problem with that. I don't do like like full episodes. I'll do mastering, right? Or the mix, you know, the mixing. I will do different pieces of what we do usually for a regular client. Um, but my what one offs uh, are to me now or is just anything fun I want to do or if I just want to make a little bit extra money. Don't have a problem with that. And then Heather made a really good point earlier in the comments about uh, charging more for um, charging a per episode rate that is higher mm-hmm. than a prepaid rate, which I do. So I, I think it's fabulous advice. And I, I should say that I'm in the same boat. If somebody wants audio repair, I will absolutely do one episode and I will be happy to charge for that. Because audio repair is something that's fun, and it's something that you don't actually have to have a history of the sh- history with the show to do a good right. job of. It's not like you're trying to match an EQ from the previous 38 episodes that somebody else did. Yeah, absolutely. So I love, and plus you're practicing your skills, right? It's a different set of skills. You're you're kind of honing your hearing. I mean, there's so much that comes out of that. That's and that's kind of what the one-offs are for me. You're just kind of you know keeping up those skills. Um, and having fun, getting paid. That's nice. <laughs> so I think the one thing I wanted to kind of throw out there, because we've kind of danced around some of the challenges in implementing something like this, but what if somebody's listening to this and going, that's cool, but my clients would never go for that? And they're not the right clients for you. Quite frankly. I mean, you know, you have to make that choice. Do you want to continue working with them or do you want to make it work for you? I would say that if you haven't had that conversation, your client's may be open to a differentiated service level, more open to it than you think. So maybe they're not the clients that can get up to four episodes in the queue, but maybe they are the clients that can get an extra three days into their production calendar, right? So could they get one episode ahead? So if they're recording on Monday for publication the following Monday, I'm just making that one up. Could they record on Thursday or Friday the week prior? Could they get half a week ahead? Because those extra days can make a huge difference. You're right. And the you don't know till you ask. The worst they can say is yeah. no. The extra worst thing that could happen is they're like, no, I I don't I'm quit you. But I will also say that you also have an opportunity to teach them or to be like, well, you know what? If this is something you want to do, if you want to work with me in this way, you know, I'll be happy to like run a batch recording session. Like, let's get together on a Saturday and, you know, get your guests and we'll just do like three interviews back to back. And I'll record it. I will record the files locally on Zoom or whatever app you happen to use. And then all you need to do is show up, be curious and entertaining, and then go, you know, do something else. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and there's there's the added benefit that if you're on the call, 
there's a higher probability that you'll get a better recording and a more focused yeah. host. And you're building that relationship, right? And you're you're yeah. kind of setting, you have the opportunity to like show a podcaster or a client what happens when somebody is in control of the session because you also get a better response from the guests too and they enjoy it more. And then you can mm-hmm. say, well, that was a courtesy and I and thank you so much. That's really great. Now we're ahead. Awesome. If you would like to continue this, here's my rate for recording. And you should have that in your menu of services so that if somebody wants that, you already know what yeah. it's going to cost. Oh my gosh. Uh, so... Which one? There's I like know, three more. You guys are so asking such good, good questions. I think we should hit Helen's first. She wanted yeah. to know uh, if what you prefer is series rather than by episode. Yes. yes. And Helen's in um, New Zealand. So um, it's not season yeah. series. Yeah. Uh. Uh, how about Patrick? So, uh, possible future topic. What do you like most about your work? I think that. And I think we could probably touch on that now. We've got a couple minutes left. What do you like most? So I'm really digging just the whole kind of sound design thing and sonic image. Mm. And um, it is, oh, I can't think of her name right now. Oh, audio branding. What is her name? Kring- Kringle? Um. Oh, Ju- is it Judy? Yes. Um, Yes. I can't remember her first name. Yeah. Yes, 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 yes. As I can see the I can see the cover. Yes, art. <laughs> I can too, but I just I haven't like talked to her in such a long time that uh, I I always see her like well, I use Facebook change, so not seeing everybody I like to see. Yeah. So um her concept of like she brought this concept to my attention, the sonic branding, just being really mm-hmm. thoughtful and intentional with sound. It is something I'm really digging. And now I'm like deconstructing like music mixes in my head. It's weird. Um, nice. Yeah. I absolutely love it and see how they're like panning things and using a, a plugins and stuff. It, it's, it's cool. So that I'm really digging the artistry and kind of a little bit the science. So as I answer, those of you that have joined us live, I'd like for you to also answer, what do you most like most about this work? And if you're listening later to the podcast, we'll have a link in the episode notes so you can leave comments because we'd love to hear from you. What is it that you love about this work? My favorite part is taking something that sounds pretty good and making it really tight and really sound great. It probably sounds a little bit cliche, but I really enjoy taking something where it sounded okay. It wasn't terrible. It was good. Maybe there were a few things that needed to be cleaned up from an audio repair standpoint, but it wasn't total garbage. And making it sound really, really good, really, really tight, really present and in your face, but not like not not like slap you in the face, but like there. And you can hear it when you're driving down the road. Everybody sounds consistent. There's like just it uh, I don't know how to say it, but that's what I like doing. And I would say I probably get to do that about 25% of the time. And the rest of the time, I try to take it from kind of okay to pretty good. But that's what I really enjoy. It's like it's like tiramisu. Oh. When you get done, you're just like, oh, that was so yeah. good. I'm so proud that I had a little tiny bit to do in this. And it's not so much that... It's not even so much that I'm proud that I was the one, but like by the time I'm done, I'm like, oh, this sounds good. Like This makes my ears happy. That's what I like. Yeah. And you yeah, other people, I think in those moments, like those are the episodes that other people really 
give feedback on. Like, it's weird. Like, when you have that level of pride, I notice that, like, listeners will give feedback. Yeah. Um, and that part is awesome. I, I really do. I enjoy all of that. Um, I think this is why we do what we do, right? Yeah. Helen says that she loves the variation in topics, the content editing part of the edit, taking the interview and putting it together to make it sound good. Yeah. Yeah. I wish I could do that. <laughs> I, 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 it's fine. It's like a, putting a puzzle together. Oh, Patrick Heller, is that your podcast, the Big Seance podcast? Um, because I'm not seeing that one. I don't know where that, I feel like I'm, so okay. I think it's all the way at the bottom, but Helen asked about his podcast. So um, I will definitely be checking that out, Patrick, because Helen and I, and Helen will too, because we both love paranormal podcasts. Yeah. And Patrick is talk, wondering if he's got the right niche for his podcast in terms of making money. I don't know that I could answer that one. I would say that typically, in fact, some new research came out just recently that a surprisingly low number of podcasters make money from their podcast. A lot of people who make money in podcasting make money because of their podcast, not from their podcast. So just kind of bear that in mind. Yeah. And Patrick, I will say this. It's it's certainly not impossible. I worked with um, Homespun Haints. I love those ladies to help them get sponsors and kind of figure out a way to, you know, monetize and build their audience and and you know, gave them some ideas of like fun stuff they could sell themselves, that they could do themselves. Like I think for paranormal podcasts, events, events is where it's at. Cause I would go. Right. I would pay you money. I would pay you money to go to some kind of like haunted theme event, um, whether it's a virtual or online. Like if you just want to like tell ghost stories all night, I'm there. So yes. So see me after class and we can talk about it some more. <laughs> yeah. I, I think we probably need to draw this to a close. Uh, great stuff. We definitely, I apologize for missing the comments for so long because the show is so much better when we're hearing from you, as you can tell by the, by how this flowed. Yeah, because I don't know. Um, Carrie, <laughs> All right, go ahead. I do need you to pick a number from one to five because we have to do the Poddex question of the day. Four. Once I get it on camera. One, two, three, four. What's something that you like that most people don't? So for those joining us in the chat, you can share something that you like that most people don't. If you're listening later, got that link in the show notes for your conversation. Uh, Carrie, since you picked number four and I don't have an answer yet, I'm going to let you answer. What's something you like that most people don't? Uh, I like really bad movies. I do. I love me a bad movie. And I especially love a bad disaster movie. And I'm a huge fan of the sci-fi <laughs> channels movies. I really am. I don't care how bad or formulaic it is or how terrible the acting is. Like I am down. One thing that I like that I suspect a lot of people don't is um, symphonies. I love a good symphony, something from the late 17th early to the early 19th century. I don't get to listen to a lot of them, man, especially, yeah, like Shostakovich, or not Shostakovich, um, Brahms. Some, some of the Brahms stuff is just, uh, it's like when I was talking about that episode that just kind of sings, yeah. that's what that is to me. Um, but yeah. Yeah, well, I will tell you, Brian, that um, when I was like in high school and then um, in college, I like all my friends were music people, right? But they were like classically mm. trained music people that those kind of. So the nerds, yeah. So we would have Saturday 
or Sunday mornings eating chocolate covered coffee beans and listening to an entire <laughs> symphony or opera. Um, yeah. And they would just like tell it, tell like mostly me because I didn't know anything, but they had fun explaining it all to me. And, and, and I actually kind of credit that to part of the reason why I do what I do now. I tell you what, man, a good symphony is just, it's out of this yeah, world. I'm sorry. Really I, I realize that totally dates me, but I don't yeah. care. Uh, a lot of other stuff I like too, but that's the one that I think is probably less popular. It's least popular, yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, so I guess we probably need to draw this to a close. Carrie, if somebody has another topic they'd like us to cover or is maybe thinking about being a guest on the show, what do they need to do? Head over to our website, podcasteditorsmastermind.com. If you want to be a guest, put a slash be a guest. All one word after that, podcast editors, mastermind, be a guest, fill out the form and we will get back to you. And then if you have a topic, you may also suggest it there or you can reach out to us at, um, yeah, one word, at podcasteditorsmastermind.com. And you can use a contact form on the website to just basically tell us anything. Um, yeah, we're crazy like that, right? Yeah, and Facebook, like you know where to find us, right? By now? Um, <laughs> I mean, you're watching us right here. Yeah. So yeah, that's, that's one of the places. For those that have joined us live, thanks so much for being here. Uh, it was great to hear from you. I feel like I should say something smart, but I don't really have anything other than we would love to hear from you. Comments, suggestions, limericks, emails, all that stuff is good. We love that Except kind of stuff. Except for hate mail or criticism. We don't yeah, like we'll that. Yeah, we'll send that to Daniel. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah. Uh, thank you, Patrick and Helen and Amber and Heather for just showing up with such great like comments and questions. It's really fabulous. And with that, I'm Brian Itzminger. You can find me at toptieraudio.com or on the socials at Top Tier Audio. And you are... Gary Caulfield. Eric, you can find me at yayapodcasting.com or you can connect with me on Instagram at Carrie Eric. Well, I will share pictures of my new kitten. Um, and if anybody wants to see him. And unable to join us today was Daniel. You can find him at rothmedia.audio as Carrie steals the show with the kitty. <laughs> so yeah. Does the kitty have a social profile yet or a website? Not yet, but he will. All right. Well, thanks everybody for joining us. Uh, love to hear from you and we'll see you in a couple weeks. Bye, y'all. Uh, um, so how much is that? Um, 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 um